Good morning, Bridgeway. I want to welcome you in from the foyer to join us in the sanctuary here. This morning, I invite you to, <laughs> to find a place of worship within your heart. We are going to do our best to lead you. But if we're all being honest, some days are harder than others. So we're not asking you to lead. We're asking you to join us as we look for Jesus this morning. Leave your problems out there. They don't belong here. Jesus is here. That's why we're, that's why we're here. So sit, stand, however you will, but we are going to begin this service with some songs. <clears throat> Be in the city, 
and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will be no... There will not need... Ah, sorry. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We live. 
Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. And let me welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious King we were just singing about. And because Jesus is King, no matter how bleak our nation or world looks, we choose to put our trust in him. And as we sang in that first psalm, Jesus is the hope of the nations. So I pray that that gives you some hope today as we uh, gather together in the name of Jesus. Well, my name is Don Fraze. I serve here as the transitional pastor, and it's my privilege to welcome all of you Bridgeway people. To, uh, also, special welcome to those of you who are guests or visitors with us today. Great to have you uh, be a part of our, of our service. So, what a great summer this has been already. You know, I'm sure most of you are saying more rain still needed. However, each time I drive out to Swift, it's still pretty green out there. So, Lord, keep the rain coming. Keep the green going. And, uh, yeah, let's just keep enjoying the wonders of creation. And so I hope you've had uh, all kinds of opportunities to do that already this summer. Now, on that note of fun things to do in summer, you are all invited to a church event this afternoon. Our family ministries uh, ministry is um, hosting a beach day down at Sask Landing Park. And I hear it's at the West Beach. I haven't been to Sask Landing Park for years, so I have no idea where that is, but I hope you do. And that's where we're going to gather. And the time is 1.30. So I'm guessing what that means is, uh, you know, when church is over, grab a quick lunch, gather all your beach gear together, and then, what, it's about a half an hour out there, I think. And uh, come and join us. And uh, let's just have some fun hanging out and being together for the afternoon. Now, another big part of this church that I'm learning is this is a church that loves their camp. And from what I understand, Bridgeway has been a supporter of West Bank Bible Camp for many, many years. And I know that there is much passion and excitement in this church for what God does at camp. And they are in full swing right now. So, they're, oh, Lee, you're right here. Come on up, Lee. She's going to give us a little bit of a camp update. Okay, so last week I had the privilege to cook at camp all week. And so just in case you're wondering, is camp up and running? Yes, there are camps running till the end of August. Are the camps full? No, there is room for you and your friends at camp. Is the pool usable? Yes. This week, with much prayer and work, the pool inspection got passed. And if you want to see excitement, tell 60 kids that they get to spend the afternoon in a pool on a hot day. It's pretty loud in the dining hall. Is camp as exciting as ever? Yes, there's enthusiastic staff and very excited kids. Are lives being changed at camp? Yes. There are staff who are growing in their Christian lives and kids who are becoming Christians. Do you know that there are young adults who are staff that did not come from Christian homes, yet came to camp as kids and now are leading other kids to Christ? Pretty amazing, I'd say. Does camp need volunteers? Yes. In the Bible, it says, some watered, some planted, or some planted, some watered, but God gave the growth. Oops. Well, today we could say some donated cookies, some donated square bales, some decided to mow grass, some decided to butter 17 loaves of bread for grilled cheese, but it will be God who gives the increase. Will you be tired and hot and sweaty when you're done volunteering? Yes. Yesterday I had two naps. So, <laughs> did you get paid to volunteer? No, but you do get to share in the incredible blessing of leading kids to Christ and helping them grow in the Christian faith. So during the week, there was a precious little girl who introduced herself to one of the kitchen staff, and she said, hi, I'm Gwen, and I'm a Christian. And if that's not worth it, I'm not sure what else is. So call the camp and volunteer. They need lots of help. Thanks so much, Lee. 
And I know that many of you have done much volunteering and uh, giving and in so many ways. And if you look in your bulletin today, you will see there is lots of stuff from the camp. So make sure you read all of that. And there's also a good list of birthdays and anniversaries. So happy birthday and happy anniversary to those of you celebrating. All right. Well, right now I want to ask, and I know you guys are going to hate me for doing this, but Darren and Chantel and bring up, uh, yes, Austin and Jesse and Cooper. You guys get to come too. So I know that almost all of you know them here, but we do have some guests today. This is Darren and Chantel Kennedy, and their boys Cooper, Jesse, and Austin. And they have been serving here. Thank you, Ryan's going to join me up here too. Uh, Darren has been serving as the youth associate pastor here for, I believe, over 10 years now? Or are we close to 10 years? We're right on 10 years this fall, so remember that, church. Anyway, uh, they're going to be, uh, well, Darren's actually speaking at camp next week, and they're going as a family, and then uh, we as a church and as a leadership have wanted to just bless this family with a good chunk of time off, so then they're going to be gone for the next month. Now, I know that you guys have a young, busy family, so I know that holidays doesn't necessarily always mean rest, but we do hope and pray that it will be a time to feed your spirits and bring rest to your souls and that you can just receive the blessing of your church. And I know I speak for your church family when I say Darren and Chantel and the kids. Well, first of all, Chantel and the kids, thanks for sharing dad so much. I know dad's really busy a lot, but thanks for sharing him. And Chantel for bringing your gifts and leadership to the church as well. Thank you. And Darren, um, I think that as I've just been thinking of your ministry, and just in my short time here, um, I just have so much respect for you. And just on behalf of the church, I know that you were the solo pastor here for a good chunk of time and uh, leading, leading from that, that place and in a difficult time too. And uh, we just, I just want to say thank you for the wise leadership. Thank you for the integrity. And thank you for how you have loved and shepherded this flock. And so we just want to bless you back by saying thank you and by praying for you as a family that um, this time will be a time of refreshing for you. And then I just look forward to us continuing to work together and see what God has for us as we get into the fall season. All right, so I've asked Ryan just to join me. Thanks, boys, for being patient. You guys are doing so good. So I'm just going to pray a short prayer for you. I promise it'll be short. And then uh, you can all go sit down again. So why don't you join me, everyone, please, and let's, let's pray for this couple and this family. Oh, so Lord God, thank you for how you gift the church. And Lord, um, you gift the church in so many ways, but Lord, you also gift the church with um, the leaders you rise up among us. And Lord, Lord, thank you so much for calling Darren and Chantel and their family here to Bridgeway. And Lord, I thank you for uh, just how you have worked through Darren and Chantel to bring so much blessing and leadership to this church. And Lord, um, as, as they've served so faithfully, Lord, we just pray that you will be their strength. You will be their courage, and you will continue to just give them the wisdom and the strength they need to carry on. And Lord, uh, they've given so freely and so generously, but Lord, I also know that, that the resources at times run low, and they, they need your spirit to just rejuvenate them. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would fall upon them and bring strength and courage and just renewal to their hearts and souls. And Lord, I pray that you will just give Darren the strength to be a husband and a dad 
and to um, be able to give that energy that he's so often given to the church, that he'll be able to just enjoy giving some of that energy to his family. And Lord, I just pray that as they travel, that for safety, I pray for blessing as they spend time with family and friends and just enjoy the summer season. And Lord, for Darren, as he speaks at camp this week, we just pray for your anointing over him and let him connect with those kids and just see um, the gospel of Jesus be presented powerfully. So again, Lord, thank you for this family. We pray your blessing and provision over them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, guys. Didn't quite keep my promise. It was, the prayer was longer than it should have been. All right, Ryan, lead us. And may this time be rejuvenating and just may the Lord fill your, your cup and that you'd be ready to go for this fall. <clears throat> the passage and part that I want to share with you <clears throat> today is, is partially comes from a, a couple, few weeks ago when Don was sharing with us uh, from John 17, 14 to 19, where he was telling us that we need to be, as Christians, uh, we need to show hope to our community and to the world around us, and that often we have a uh, negative or judgmental um, a connotation put around us. And actually, just a few weeks ago, um, I had made a comment to a coworker, and he has, had said, "See, Ryan always makes a negative comment," and that really hit me because I don't feel like I'm that way. So it's a reminder for me to continue to look inwards <clears throat> and for each of us to look inwards and to continue to think of what God has uh, for each one of us. So in the passage, John 17, 14 to 19, it says, I have given them your word and the word has, has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your reminder that we need to do better, that we are your chosen, that we need to portray your love to those around us, that we need to be an example to those that we can be a light and we can be, um, we can stand apart from, from our community, Lord, that they would know that you are God and that you lead us. Lord, I thank you for each one here. I ask that you'd help each one of us to, to do better, to follow your teachings, and to, to make the sacrifices that you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we talk, or I'm pretty sure Darren's talking, about our witness. Jesus was arrested and he said 
to the leaders who were asking him questions. They said, who are you? Who do you say you are? And he said, ask the people who followed me. They are my testimony. They know who I am. And I think the same is supposed to be true of us. So how do we shine that light? How do, how do, we, how do we be Jesus to others? Not entirely sure. What I do know is that we're not meant to do it alone. We have the church. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning, I come as your sister in Christ. And I don't know whether your week has been joyful and you're excited to be here and you are bringing praise and glory to Jesus because life is good. I don't know like, if you're like me, where your week was kind of eh, humdrum and you're coming to church this morning to be encouraged, to be lifted up with the body to a place of worship with God. So wherever you come, however you get here, I hope that you find the throne room of Jesus and that you were able to come to a place of complete and reverent worship this morning.
from you it's not because you've pulled away father but it's because we've lost sight God that we just our focus is not on you where it needs to be so Lord bring us back bring us back this morning we pray the splendor of the king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice.
the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for.
today we enter into the 18th chapter of John's gospel. Into a story that's recorded in all the other ones. And for the first time, what feels like throughout all of John's story, we can start to compare what he tells to Luke, to Matthew, to Mark. And up till now, John's story has stood so independent from the others, we haven't had the temptation to compare it the same way. But now you do. Now you can start to read it and and ask yourself, why does he leave out this verse or this quote? Why does he tell the story different than Mark did, Luke did? And I'm just going to ask you as we go through chapter 18 uh, over the next couple weeks, 19 and 20, the arrest, the trial, the death, execution, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen to what John's been saying the whole time. He knows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have recorded their Gospels. He knows that. He's not trying to copy them. He doesn't need to. He's trying to tell you something. He's trying to point you to believing in Jesus and finding life in his name. So he's going to tell the story using pieces that he remembers that will point people to that life. So we don't need to compare it to the others as we read it. It stands alone because it tells a special story by itself. And if you're someone that visualizes as they read the Bible, I think this story is for you. It was the middle of the night. They had spent supper together. Jesus had said goodbye to all of them, told them that this was it. That it was just about over a little while longer he'd be there with them and then gone. He prayed over them. Almost like a pastor commissioning the missionaries, he prays over them and they sing together. Then he said, let's go to the garden. You see, every week, I guess during the Passover week, during the nights, they would travel out to the Mount of Olives and there they would camp. It says in the other Gospels, they didn't even stay in the city. So out they go back out to the garden and they knew that this is where Jesus loved to pray. It's the middle of the night. It's midnight. And Jesus begins to pray because they've all had supper and they've stayed up listening to Jesus preach to them through these prayers for a couple hours. They all drift off to sleep and Jesus just keeps on praying. You see, he's doing battle with the flesh. His spirit is willing to die, but his flesh is crying out, does not want this execution, does not want this pain and suffering, this weight of sin that's going to crush him. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and Jesus prays and prays and prays. Until finally, now it's the middle of the night. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and you see the torches approaching. You see Judas leading them up the side of the hill, and dwelt with who? Who's he filled with? Right, he's filled with Satan. Satan has entered him and is now leading him. And as Satan is leading Judas up this hill, you see behind him the detachment of soldiers who are following. A detachment is a tenth of a legion. 600 soldiers could have been part of that detachment. Following Satan up the hill, following Judas up the hill. The disciples are asleep. There's just a couple who are awake. And Jesus looks up and he sees Satan leading the army up the hill. What does the shepherd do? 
Imagine Jesus looking back at his best friends, some of them asleep there in the grass, some of them in the dirt. He looks at them, and the shepherd has to make a choice. Is the shepherd going to run away from Satan and the army coming up the hill, or does the shepherd stand in front of the sheep and face the wolves that are coming? And in this moment, Jesus makes his stand fearlessly, fearlessly. As we read through this chapter, keep in mind the cosmic battle going on. Jesus isn't afraid of Romans. He never has been. He never will be. His battle wasn't even against them. It was against Satan from the very beginning. From the moment Jesus was baptized, it was Satan who attacked him and tempted him. And it says that after his temptation, Satan waited for an opportune time to attack him again. Here comes Satan up the hill. Remember what he said, these verses in John chapter 10. Just listen to this and we'll read the story. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? Abandons the sheep. He runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock, scatters the flock. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. This is chapter 18 of the Gospel of John. Ready to read together? This is the story of the good shepherd. John chapter 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and they crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. He and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, he knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches lanterns, and weapons. You stop and you think about this for a second. In the middle of the night, they approach Jesus with a detachment of soldiers carrying weapons as if Jesus was a revolutionary ready to fight, as if Jesus was going to launch his disciples towards them to take them down. Like this was going to be a battle to the death and Jesus would die on this hill before he would allow himself to get arrested. Jesus didn't have that many followers and yet they came with a detachment of soldiers. You wonder if they were expecting a fight. But they're not going to get that fight, are they? I love this. This is verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out. Pay attention to that. This is the NIV. Your translation might use a different word. He went out. <clears throat> he didn't run away. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, he stepped up. He went forward and he asked them, who is it you want? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. 
When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. That's from John chapter 6 when he told them all he was the bread of life. He says, the Father places them into my hand and I don't lose a single one of them. That's from John 6. Who have you come for? He says to them, right? This is just us rethinking this story. Who have you come for? We've come for Jesus. Let them go. You don't need them. You've come for me. Who have you come for? Jesus. But he doesn't reply with, yes, I'm Jesus. What does he say? I am. And somehow with Jesus' response, using that answer, I am he, it knocks them back and it lowers them down. Doesn't it remind you of Philippians chapter 2? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He speaks his name, his identity, and when he confirms his identity, it physically moves a detachment of soldiers. There's something about who he is and his fearlessness to declare who he is that physically stunned the people who would come to get him. And John writes that down. You have to know this. John is writing this down. He spoke his name and people fell to the ground. That's our king. That's our king. But it's in verse 10 when we encounter Peter and the struggle of humanity and the struggle of following God's will. Then, Simon Peter, who had a sword, He drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? What an intense moment. Divinity and humanity clashing with each other. And why is this? Because God has a will, and that will is taking place. And that will is sacrificial. That will involves humility. That will involves death and hardship and pain. And Jesus is ready to be obedient to God's will, no matter the cost. But Peter now, standing there looking at the will of God unfolding, the fear, the pain, the hardship that's going to come with Jesus being arrested, and what does he decide to do? Not today. And he reaches for the sword. Not willing to be obedient to God's will. Not willing to go through the pain. Maybe this gut reaction of fear. He reaches for the sword, pulls it out, and he swings for the head of the high priest's servant. He was willing to kill to make sure that this didn't happen. That disobedient to God's will. And yet his motives could have been pure, He may have been just trying to do the right thing, trying to protect his king. All the right reasons to swing his sword. And yet, 
The obedience to God's will is what's more important than the sacrifice. Has God called you, has God called me to a life including hardship and pain and humility and surrender? And we constantly reach for the sword. That's not what I want. I pray for hardship to go away. If God really loved me, this pain would disappear. And we swing our sword trying to fix the situation. We'll just make it better. And God is just looking at him. Why? This is it. This is God's plan. It's surrender, Peter. It's picking up the cross, Peter. Put your sword away. You're not going to fight your way out of this. That's the way. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? I've been guilty of that before. The detachment of soldiers, this is verse 12. With its commander and the Jewish officials, they arrested Jesus. They bound him. They brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders, it'd be good if one man died for the people. Caiaphas had said that earlier um, in the year. You read that later in the other Gospels. Caiaphas was high priest chosen by help of the Romans. And he said, what if we just killed Jesus? What if one man died? He prophesied this. What if one man just died and it fixed everything? It'd be okay if we murdered someone. If one man died. That was that Caiaphas. Annas had been the high priest. He's the father-in-law. But they bring him to Annas first. In the next section, together that we're going to read from 15 on to 27, the focus tends to shift, I find when I read this, from the shepherd to the sheep. So this section is about the undeserving sheep. See, it'd be one thing if our shepherd stood in front of us to defend us from the enemy, and we were worth something, we were worth defending We were the most valuable sheep in the world. Maybe it would make sense taking on a wolf and risking your life. But in this next section, you're going to see that as Peter denies Jesus and denies Jesus, we're just worthless sheep. There's nothing special about us that's deserving this sacrifice. The shepherd would have been smart to just step out of the way and let us be eaten. There's got to be better sheep than us. So read with me, we'll start at verse 15, and we'll talk about the undeserving sheep. Simon Peter and another disciple, they were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Verse 16. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, he came back. He spoke to the servant girl who's on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. It was cold. The servants and officials, they stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing there with them. He was warming himself That's significant. You see, at the very first chance that Peter had to now confirm his identity after Jesus, remember, what did he ask those officials, those soldiers in the garden? Who do you want? We want the one who identifies as Jesus. That's me. He willingly reveals who he truly is. 
The first question to Peter, who are you? Reveal your identity. Are you a follower of the Jesus? I'm not. Right away defends it, denies it, fear. But he can't hide. Do you know why? It's three in the morning and it's freezing cold. So where does Peter go? Right up to the fire that everyone had made. In the darkness, you can hide in your sin. So many of us do that. We choose to just live in this dark place where we can hide the true depths of our heart. We do it sitting in this room with a smile on our face. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And we just hide in the darkness. We hide our sin. But Peter is forced with the decision, does he freeze over in the shadows or does he step right up to the fire where everyone else is warming themselves? What's the problem with standing in front of a fire? What does it reveal? It reveals your face, doesn't it? Lights you up. And he's going to be standing around all the other officials, the servants, the guards, all there. He's going to reveal himself to every one of them. So he steps up to the light and the truth is revealed. Don't miss the significance of something like that. Verse 19, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Verse 20, I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas. If you read in the other Gospels, it talks about that as Peter is denying Jesus, Jesus can actually look out from where he's on trial, and Jesus can do what? What can he see from there? He can see Peter. And then when Peter denies him, they see each other, and Peter begins to cry. So that gives us this glimpse into the fact that they're within distance of each other within vision of each other. And Jesus standing there before Annas, the former high priest, and Annas is demanding answers. Who are you? What's this teaching? Who are these followers? We sent soldiers to go get you. What are you planning? Are you going to take over the temple? Are you going to kill us? Are you going to partner with the Romans? What's this secret kingdom you keep talking about that's not this kingdom? What's going on? You just start to imagine these questions. And Jesus goes, there is no secret. I stood in front of thousands of people and I spoke the truth. There's no secret. Go ask them. Go ask them. And if you truly can see Peter from where he's standing, go ask them. They're right there. Go ask. They will tell you the truth. Go ask. The irony is that we're going to go right back to what Peter has to say. And what he chooses is not the truth at all. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it. 
saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, he challenged him, didn't I see you? I saw you in the garden with him. Peter is up against an eyewitness. Someone that he can't lie to. But Peter is so deep down this lie at this point, his fear, I imagine, has overcome him to the point he's willing to lie to people now about who he truly follows in front of an eyewitness. He denies it. Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Jesus, fearlessly as the shepherd, standing in front of all the sheep, staring down the wolf who'd come to attack him. It was, I will openly reveal my identity. I am he. That powerful name of Yahweh. I am. I am he. I am he. I am he. Then we look at Peter, Jesus' closest friend. I am not. I am not. I am not. The difference between courage and fear displayed through one who is full of divinity and one who is burdened with the sin of humanity. And as you and I read this, this will hit us different ways. You might associate with Peter, the one who succumbed to his fear and sin, the one who's supposed to be the testimony to the world, the one who's supposed to be putting Jesus on display, who's supposed to be radiating this truth for the world to see. And you're struggling and you're stumbling. That your life isn't accurately displaying Jesus to people. Because every time we sin, we're choosing not to be obedient. And people who know him are people who are obedient. And people who don't know Jesus are not obedient. John writes that in 1 John. So in our sin, we're denying that we know him. How many of us struggle with that all the time? In a world where entitlement just fills us, we put ourselves first. And through our sin, we deny that we know the king. We deny that we know the shepherd. That's lots of us, and that's me. Who do you think struggles with that the most? The attitude of entitlement, right? You pray and you wonder why God doesn't answer your prayer and do what you want. You volunteer and you give and you serve and you wonder why your life isn't filled with more blessings, why it's not easier, why it's still incredibly, incredibly hard. You go home and you wonder, God, is this it? After all I've done, is this, is this the way you're going to hand life back to me? You're standing there at the garden and Jesus is saying, Darren, are you ready? Are you ready to surrender? This is the plan. It's going to be incredibly hard. Are you ready? And my hand is just on the sword. I don't want this at all. I just want blessings. I just want the easy path. I'm going to pray for every hardship in my life to disappear and then be disappointed in you, God, if you don't take it away. Keep swinging when I don't get what I want. I got to take my hand off the sword because Jesus' posture looks a lot like this and mine looks a lot like this. We're supposed to be the testimony bearers and yet so often we'll do anything to get out of it. The flip side of that 
is if you're not wrestling with that inside your heart, maybe you've come to a place where now you're willing to be obedient to the will of God. You've offered that surrender. God has changed your heart and you want to follow him wherever he calls you to go. And now you're in a posture to start praising the good shepherd. Oh, Philippians chapter 2. Man, just keep reading Philippians chapter 2. I think I even put it yeah, on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Jesus. Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or taken advantage of. He's saying even though Jesus was God and he could have used it for his advantage as a weapon against people, he could have used it as a superpower, he lets it go, surrenders it. Rather than use it to his own advantage, he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of the servant, made in human likeness, found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself. Even further than just that, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, execution on a cross. So because he had divinity in his hands because by nature he is God and he says for you I'll stand in front of the wolves for you I'll become the the sacrificial lamb I'll hand it off for you God the father says look at that obedience I will elevate you to the highest position that's ever existed God exalted him to the highest place gave him the name above every name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That obedience is bringing glory to God the Father. So he'll elevate him for his posture of incredible sacrifice that no one will ever match. So as you and I are reading this story. And as sheep, we're watching our shepherd stand in front of us. Just imagine, rod in hand, and he looks at Satan, and he says, not today. Not them. You don't get them. They're mine. They're mine. Satan says, we'll take you then. We'll take you, Jesus of Nazareth, if we can't have them. And Jesus says, go ahead. I'm him. I'm right here. You can have me. And Satan hauls him off and kills him as if he won. And the whole time, Jesus knows that he saved all of his sheep by offering himself. Doesn't that just, doesn't that silence your heart? Like all the thoughts and the feelings, the anger and the pride the bitterness, the resentment, the entitlement, like all these things that Satan is trying to flare up inside of me and inside of other people. You read this story and you're just silenced. That was the posture of the shepherd. Churches have split over the color of the carpets and that's the posture of the shepherd. It's just like, how can we think or focus or fight about anything else? When you read this story and realize what's been done for you, one day all of us are going to bow before him. It says every knee will bow and you and I will all bow before him. 
with tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of other people, and we will sing praises to him, like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And do you know what you're not going to be thinking about in that moment when you're humbled in your singing? Do you know what you're not going to be thinking about? Anything else. Anything else. Anything else. That's my true belief. Anything else. So as a dad and as a husband, as a pastor, and all the things I worry about and the stress that I deal with and the pride that I battle as I pray and the people in our church family who make me grumpy and the parts of myself that make me grumpy and all these things, I just realized one day I'm going to bow before the king and none of that's going to matter and how many times Darren prayed, how much money he gave, how many times he served, how much he thought he deserved a good life, it's not going to matter. Because my king has taken the posture of putting his hands forward. And I have no other choice but to take that posture too. Or I'll just fight against him like Peter my whole life. Church, that's the God that we believe in, the God that we worship, the God who is holy, holy, holy. So I hope that that becomes the posture of my heart and your heart. That every time Satan just flares up inside of us and goes, you are the most important. You just put your hands back out and you go, no, I'm not. I'll die if I have to. It's not about me. If my shepherd can do it, I can do it too. And that remember that when Satan comes after you and your family, that we have a shepherd in front of us with a very big stick. And he's not afraid to swing the stick. Satan is not as powerful as us. The spirit that is inside of us is much stronger than he who is in the world. And if you believe that scripture, then you believe that we have nothing to be afraid of. Because our shepherd is not going to let a single wolf touch us. And you can bank on that so you don't have to be afraid. This is a pretty cool story, isn't it? We're going to sing and we're going to thank God. And I hope that it comes from the right place inside of your heart because I know it will be for me. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen and show me how to love like you have loved me. I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over
send us out with your blessing to be the generation starting a revival God you believed in us you've died for us you've given us all we need to know let us show you to the world this week this month this year through the power of the Son we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ Amen Thank you